2: This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
3: I'm going to put Nathan Leverton on the spot here and let him do the intro in it.
0: You do an intro and say about how you came to interview him. Yeah,
3: but what I was going to, what, what the reason I was going to do is you're way smarter than me. He's a smart dude. One smart guy talking about another smart guy and then a mug like me can jump in at any time. Right then, guys, I'm going to talk about easily, easily one of the, uh, well, he, he's probably, probably been one of the most influential guys, especially in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. If you take, if you take my, my own Professor Neil Simpkin out of the equation, he's easily the most influential guy in my journey in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, f- simply for the reason that the first time I ever met him I had heard about this gentleman, uh, we'll give him the name check immediately, John Bernard Will, famously from the original Dirty Dozen, the first 12 black belts, uh, non-Brazilian black belts uh, in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And I know he was a really, really good friend of another big influence in my martial arts career, Jeff Thompson. And Jeff used to actually, he was a pen pal of his at the time. And they used to write and John was instrumental in getting Jeff the gig to teach at Chuck Norris's seminar in America, which basically took Jeff from being a national domestic guy to being internationally known. And I've read loads of stuff from John and there wasn't a lot that would come through, but the bits that you could get were amazing. This is pre-social media days. And I went down to train with Mark Collett, who's now a judge for the UFC and a dear friend of mine, Tony Terranova. They were hosting John, and it was the first time I'd ever gone down there. And if you want to know the truth, it was really the first time I'd seriously put on a gi in one evening. And I went down there, and that evening had this amazing effect on me because uh, as much as I love jujitsu, just listening to John for three hours made me realize that anybody that can be that insightful who does jujitsu, and even if you only get 10% of that insight, I'm in. And he was just such a really nice guy, and he's just been—he's uh, been constantly a source of inspiration, and uh, you know he's really, really helped me just with words of encouragement. And he's just that he truly is. This sounds cliche when I say this, but he truly is a modern master when it comes to martial arts and just generally being a man in today's society. He's very well read. He's literally the ultimate autodidact you know he's one of those guys that he has just he's basically made himself smart it's the best way i can explain it just through sheer force of will reading part of the poem, by the way and he's just he's taken the ideas and the precepts that he's learned in brazilian jiu-jitsu and he's made a ton of money i don't want to embarrass him but he's been super successful in everything from building houses, which he knows nothing about, he'll say, but he just looks at it as a problem solver, to online investing, to uh, to writing books, and basically just being, you know, from day one, he's just always really just being like, almost like a beacon for me to look towards. Uh, I still maintain he's in my top three best educators I've ever met in my life. And um, I'm going to hand it over now to Nathan Leviton for the simple reason that myself and Nathan have trained together a few times. And I'm going to embarrass Nathan now by saying this. John actually asked me what Nathan was like before he did his first ever seminar. And he said, I know he's a friend of yours. So that means he's going to be cool. And I, I just said, you are going to love the dude. And he went, why? And I said, because he's a smart guy who can strangle people too.
0: Uh, Similarly, I became aware of John through uh, Jeff Thompson was the first person to mention John will to me. And then I actually bought his first instructional books that he had online had some very early ones. And as guys would come over to the UK, there was an Australian guy who came over just traveling and turned up at my gym in the late nineties. And he told me all about the scene in Australia and how big it was and how far ahead it was of Europe. And he praise John lot too. I never really got to train with John for a long time. It was probably about eight years ago. I was invited to a seminar down at Tony Davis place and Tony got me down there. And, um, yeah, I was still training jujitsu then. And I went down and I did the seminar and I I distinctly remember that when I left, I phoned my then wife and said, I shouldn't be allowed to teach martial arts anymore. Like I just seen what the level is and, I was so shocked. Like I traveled the next day, I think that was to Coventry and trained with him again. And then next time he was over, because he comes yeah. over once a year, I went to a private session and then I went to every seminar that I could get to. And then I started bringing him to my gym. And now Carl, who teaches the jiu-jitsu at my place, now he travels to all the seminars when John's over. Uh, he is an instructor, an instructor. And when people are passionate about educating, passionate about passing on martial arts when they meet him they see that in him and when i've asked him about it he always tells the story i'm just going to paraphrase it a little bit but he said that the machado's brought him in and said to him do you want to be a competitor or do you want to be a teacher you know if you want to be a competitor we'll teach you to do a small number of things and we'll teach you to do it really really well um but if you want to be a teacher then we'll teach you a lot more and how to communicate and he went that route which is why, you know, he's not not really the competitive guy, even though he is a badass. Um, but everyone I've ever seen that I respect as an instructor, when they've been in the same room as John, everyone kind of gives little looks to each other as John's teaching. And gives, you know, there's all that little look, that little side-eye and nod, like, fucking hell, did you notice that too? And that's the kind of guy he is.
3: Yeah. Uh, you, don't mind me, you don't mind me just saying that, uh, when you just touched on the Tony Davis thing, Tony, we have to give Tony a good shout out because he's uh, helped myself and Will Henshaw. We've gone down there and we uh, we filmed Nicholas Sanyak, uh, the, Savat, the Savat master, uh, and Tony's got a great little setup. And I, I have to admit, it's 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 not often that it's not often, especially you know. I come out with this nonsense that I'm kind of a big deal of martial arts. I'm not, I'm a keen amateur, but you know, when you, you, when you're in a room, when you're in a room with people and you realize that you are literally the least skilled person in that room, because Tony gets this group of guys together and girls, cause Rosie Sexton normally jumps in on it as well. And you go down there, and there's only 10, maybe 12 of us. Uh, Wayne Stokes normally comes in, Matt Chapman comes in and it's unbelievably, you know, uh, just empowering that you're surrounded by all these super smart people. And we're all looking at this guy going, it's like Nathan said, there's those moments where you look at it and you go, that, you know, that it's like, you know, you, you're playing a bit of guitar and then you see Jimi Hendrix and you go, oh dear. Uh, and, and it's it's the truth, Nathan, because when, st- when he asks you to do anything, you're like, I know I'm not going to be able to get anything right now because this guy's got it, you know? But yeah, he's it, it just... As teaching goes, he's amazing. You know, he really is. He's, uh, for me, he's he's par excellence, definitely.
1: The bit you said there about being the least skilled in the room really feels like my cue to jump in at this point because in terms of where we are now, uh, it, not just within Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, of which I've had like three or four lessons, but in terms of all martial arts, uh, I, I'm definitely sort of at the opposite end of the scale to, to you guys. But I have had the opportunity to train with John. And this will be 10 years ago. And I was probably in the best shape of my life at this point. There's a great picture, actually, of me, Mick, John B. Will, and Al Peasland. And I've actually got the the V-shape upper body going on. And uh, so I, I was at the peak of my training. And it was just before I went traveling again for a couple of years. And I did a lot of seminars, mostly because at the time I was training under Mick and he would have all these different people come in and I must have trained under maybe 30 or 40 different guys from around the world and some of them multiple occasions some of them just the ones like John and so I, I, I took it quite casually I was very interested in just going and training with somebody but from all the, all the people that I've trained with and I've trained with some amazing people I don't think anybody's left as much of an impact from one lesson on me as as John B. Will did and there was a couple of things from that seminar that stayed with me it was it was about his teaching style as much as anything and what I really liked about it was not only the experience of that teaching style but then afterwards he explained his teaching style and the the, I I can't remember the particular uh, move we were doing but we were doing an escape from the mountain. And he showed us what it was, and then he walked us through it as a classroom. And he did it very slowly, spoke very softly, and at a very low pace. And then once we'd all been through it once, went through it again, picked it up, got a little bit quicker each time, and a little bit louder each time. And then over the course of maybe 20 minutes we went from doing it, it taken us almost a minute to do the whole move, to bang, 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 bang. And then he sits down and explains to us what was going on. And he said, the reason why I do it this way is because stress is the greatest learner that we have, the greatest teacher that we have. And so whenever you have somebody shouting and something going fast, you learn that for longer. And so what I do is I try and teach it at a slower pace so I make sure everything gets right. Because if you learn a mistake at speed, you're going to take that mistake with you. And I'd never thought about that. I'd never heard about that. It made perfect sense to me whether that's scientifically proven or not. It it works and and it stayed with me. And the second thing that he said that really appealed to me as really a hobbyist compared to you guys in terms of my, my martial arts career was the moment where somebody said to him, I don't get it. I don't get it. And his reaction to that was just brilliant. And he was excited. He said, yes. He said, yes, that's it. Because what you're experiencing there now, that feeling, that feeling of not getting it, that is the sensation of learning. That is you doing something you've never done before and learning something new. That confusion that you're feeling is your brain laying down new neural pathways so you can learn this thing that you've never done before and since that day i've kind of pursued that and i've done it when, whenever me and mick have been at camp down in Carlshaw, i i i welcome when that moment comes on because you know when you're in that intense period of of lots of different teachers uh, teaching you different things that comes on quicker and sooner but now in that usual moment where i think in modern day society you feel that sensation of being stupid and not understanding and not knowing, and it's frustrating and you want to walk away and give up. That one lesson taught me to recognize that, embrace it and go with it. And, and that's really all I can say about JB, but what a lesson to take from someone.
2: So, I've not met uh, John Will. That would be amazing uh, experience if I ever had the opportunity to do so. I hope that I can track that down and make that happen one day. I do know him from social media and from some of the videos he's done and some of the interviews that you've done, Mick. I was recently actually listening to an interview you did on your previous podcast. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I really liked his breakdown of teaching and the way that he kind of philosophically approaches some of this stuff. He was talking about uh, like slicing the pie and trying to take things in, in smaller bites, right? Instead of saying, you know, I feel like the analogy you were using in that interview, or at least it, it it's what it conjured up to me is when you're coming up and you're, you got the martial art books and there's like a, a five panel spread for a series of techniques and between each picture, five things has probably yeah. happened, but you just see magically in the next image, the person's arrived at the next thing. He has this innate ability or maybe a hard trained ability to explain all the music between those notes right to really give you a sense of what happens in the small details and why that's such a significant part of the the great the whole um bruce lee used to talk about needing to have skills on every end of the spectrum and everywhere in between if you're really good at just taking somebody's life great but obviously that's not the only uh reason or or outcome that you might be looking for. If you're really good, you're a bouncer, you're good at controlling a person's body, that's great. But if things are more severe, you might be able might need to escalate past that. He seemed to in every way that he talks have a grasp of the spectrum of whatever it is that he's working with, because so much of his teaching process appears to be, again from the outside looking in, about dissecting those individual pieces. I have a teacher Mick, I think, you know, Um, sometimes teacher, a a friend, Marcus Wynn, who talks about the same thing that you just said and where he's celebrating confusion. And so Marcus used to say that to me all the time because I'm easily confused. And he'd say, well, that's good. That's your brain is trying to push past that point of discomfort, right? When it's confused, it's this. This awkward, uncomfortable feeling, it's almost a cloud or a thing in your head where you just, I don't have it, I don't have it, I don't have it. But when, boom, you snap, you push through it to the other side, not only have you learned it, but you're going to have ownership over that by working through that fog, that haze to get the technique. Now, if you can apply something like that to your physical self, not just an intellectual concept, but into how you actually move, that's extremely high level in whatever it is you're working on, whether you're playing basketball or you're in jujitsu. So, What fascinates me so much about him is not just, obviously, his his pedigree and the amount of high-level people that he's trained, including all of you guys, but the way that he seems to conceptualize martial art. And then with that, especially as a Detroiter, with that, hearkening back to what you were talking about in the beginning, Mick, of how diverse his skills are, the way he applies this to different parts of life, that man's hustle is bigger and better than anyone else I've ever met. Right, And hustle, at least... Yeah, at least here, meaning, you know, they're the ability to keep five, six different spates, plates spinning at the same time because, you know, each one's, it's fulfilling, whether it's, it's giving you revenue or it's giving you peace of mind or it's giving you new challenges, whatever it is, but you're always moving, always on to the next thing, always cutting edge or always pushing yourself, trying new things, keeping the, keeping the plate spinning. He seems to be, you know, a, a fifth degree black belt at that. Let me ask you guys then, especially if he is this teacher's teacher, right? Which uh, clearly he is, it's, you know, Aunt, you already talked about some of the takeaways you got from him, Nathan and Mick as instructors, what were big things that you have taken from him, you know, kind of walk away lessons that have stuck with you, not just about how things that help you on the mat, but things that help you help other people well, they,
0: on the mat. I've been lucky enough to be in, be in some of his sessions where it's mostly coaches or more coaches. And the more coaches are in the room, the more he'll teach about how he's teaching. And time and again, he, he tells stories about his process and some of the, the long processes he's gone through himself, and then also just short explanations of things. So I'll kind of give an example of, of each. So one of the longer kind of processes he went through. So Ant was talking earlier about how he might teach a move, and it's, it's, you go through it slow and then a bit faster, and then it's very stressed and he's shouting. So he's talked about going through techniques. And starting to describe it with a paragraph and then taking that down to a sentence and then taking that down to a word. So that during a class, he can explain all about the technique and what you should be doing. And then the next bit, he can bring it down. And then when he gets to the point that it is in that stressful situation, he shouts that one word, you know exactly what to do. And I was like, okay, that's. That's, that's some intense dedication there. Um, but then also just some simple stuff, The seemingly simple, something that I quote a lot. When he's teaching a move, he might be teaching something that uh, seems quite basic. And he very much layers things from the basic to the advanced. And the way he explains it is about like the trunk of a tree and then the branches off from that. And he said people will, like, get caught up in the branches. The problem is the branches come from that trunk. So the, the, the move that a lot of people want to learn is the result of five or six steps that have occurred. And he says he's actually been lucky sometimes to have been there in Brazil in the 80s or in the 90s and seeing, oh, this is when the person starts to do this move in half guard. Mm-hmm. And then this person did this counter. Then this person did this counter. And now the De La God guard exists, <laughs> you know, or some yeah. random yeah. thing. And he's like, oh, I saw why that happened. If you just learn that without learning how it got there, you're missing the trunk of it. Um, so he teaches a lot where he's teaching the fundamental techniques first, then then goes off into the branches. And I use that a lot to explain in my gym. We hear a lot that high level instructors or educators of any kind are masters at
2: teaching with analogies or teaching by analogy. Is that, that sounds like both the examples you just give are analogies. Does that ring true for him? For the most part, it seems to be a common theme. hundred percent, Yeah,
3: hundred percent. One of the things that I really like with John, John Will and his wife, the, the awesome Melissa, uh, they're, they're very similar to my dear friend, Terry Barnett, another, another dear teacher of mine, Terry Barnett, and his wife, Maria, where uh, every now na- and uh, Kurt Cornwall, I'm going to throw you into the mix on this, Mel, mate. Uh, every now and again, people are just dead looking. You meet someone who's awesome, and then you meet the spouse who's equally as awesome, and then you just go like, oh, ah. So what they're making work on the map must be working in real life, too, because, you understand and i'm not buttering you up i mean that in it i I love i love melissa i always say to her i always say to john that him and his wife have like pretty much all the virtues and attributes in humanity that i like john's great John's one of john's great examples is john says the problem is some people want to understand stuff they don't understand the parameters of understanding and he says so what you need to do is so you aim to have a broad knowledge of stuff. And he said, which is a very, very admirable trait. Yeah, it's an admirable thing to think that I want to broadly understand everything. He goes, but when you when you understand things broadly, he goes, how deeply do you understand this? So when you find the areas that you're really interested in, that's when you got to dig down and you got to drill a little bit in there. And he said, you know, I'm quite OCD and I'm very, very matter of fact on stuff. So... He finds it fascinating. And uh, you know, I know you do the same, Kurt, because we've had these conversations. With John, John truly is. It, it, he's probably one of maybe four uh, that I've found in martial arts at that level who are truly well-balanced across the board, where there isn't any glaring holes in the game. You know, J- john I've spoken quite a lot to John during the lockdown. And it's like, how things going? He goes, I never thought I was going to have this enforced amount of time, uh, unless it was going to be like through ill health or just ageing, because John's one of those guys who famously, he retired. And then the next day he said, wow, that's amazing. Nothing changed, because it didn't. He, he'd set a goal in his head of his age at 60 that he was retiring. But then the next day he did exactly what he did. on I mean, <laughs> his last days of his 59th, but yeah. And he said, nothing really changes. And but he, he's looked at the lockdown in a much cooler way. And uh, if you get the chance, he does a lot of online chats at least once a week, which is it's just worth looking into. But what a lot of people don't understand is as good as John is at BJJ and you know, his MMA program's really good as well. He's taught special forces, housewives, he's gone from one end right down to the other. But, you yeah, a lot of people didn't realize John was world CELAT champion. John was a really accomplished martial artist.
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that, Mick. You know, I mean, especially as we're talking about spectrums and understanding things, you know, in the general or broad way and then in the more um, acute way. And, you know, if he's he spent, what, uh, uh, you know, 15 years or something traveling. Around. I mean, he spent the better part of a decade, he said, in Indonesia alone. Right. Yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, he became like the first world Lot champion. You've done C-Lot. Do you notice some of those influences? I don't mean technique or take, but I mean, do you, that, that kind of open-mindedness that he really has, yeah.
3: 100% uh, open-mindedness, the flow, the the way his body moves, uh, you can see how people think by the way they move. Right. Uh, You know, medical uh, conditions notwithstanding, right? When people are truly, truly fit and they're able to move around, right? You can see. And John just flows and he moves around. And it's, it's the fact that he's so open to understand everything. And it's, uh, it's very cool because he's a historian when it comes to martial arts. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I could tell you, there's things about John that just uh, amaze me. First of all, what John will say is he was basically penniless until he was 30 because all he was doing, he was just like a masterless samurai. He was just going around the world, learning different martial arts. Didn't care about getting money together because he'll sort that out later started up a martial arts magazine because he was you know, famously got himself into trouble by questioning the validity of martial arts so and that's it, the hustle i'm yeah, talking that's about the hustle. And what happened mean, come
2: with, on that's amazing
3: oh they well they gave him they gave him a hard time and wouldn't print his uh his rebuttals so he went right wow. i'm gonna do it and then he sold that magazine back to his to his competitors the guy's unreal you know he's just uh he's just republished a book i'm gonna pronounce this incorrectly, but Mushti, which where it's like an Indian martial art, which is like grappling, striking, there's like bone knuckle dusters, there's pictures of guys doing umapalatas. And it's like, where's this martial art come from? And it's like, well, there's a 1400 year history of one family who have been bodyguards to the ruling classes in India. And you're like, how does an Australian guy, as John always says, but yeah, they all think I'm a gringo. So they'll tell me stuff they don't, they wouldn't tell anybody else. But how does he get that? He's a true Renaissance man, and he's easily one of the most interesting people I know. I want to hand over to Nathan because we're, uh, on this strictly because when we were down in Milton Keynes, uh, you know the way that it, the way that he was structuring the lessons. You remember the, Do you remember how his cadence was, even down to his speech? And then he he explained how he learned it through the ten thousand dollars a year that he spends on self-improvement and i don't mean just getting a book or going on a tony robbins course i mean like proper investment or
0: well, the, the layout of his class and how he teaches is something i've borrowed and used especially with newer guys so like literally one of the first things he, he does is um he makes everybody When they're with their partner, say they're in mount position or doing or guard, they're all the the same way. So the heads are the same way. The feet are the same way, simply so that he can just scan across the room and see immediately who's out of position. And then also he teaches in that same orientation so that people don't have to change it in their head when they go back to do it with their partner. And then also he, he switches people around. So the other person has to start sometimes so they don't get in the habit of just copying what the other person did. Uh, so they have to actually pay attention to him and just layers and layers and layers and layers. You know, they, they say there's levels. There really is. And John's just the top.
3: Nathan, I don't know if you found this, but I found this several times with John where he would teach technique. And then when he'd go back into the mat and we just, bit this is how OCD I am. You'd be maybe a couple of maybe 10, 15 degrees off the position you're in. And I'd have to move my, I'd have to move my partner back into the orientation that John had me because my brain hadn't locked into that position yet. And it was, it it really, it was it was one of those bringing order to chaos things because jujitsu is so it, it, it's one of the worst things about jujitsu, is because it's so freewheeling and it's so open to interpretation, it's so hard to teach. And, like he's embraced the past to inform the future. It's the same as with all all of his, uh, you know, being a historian and stuff. He's just, he's such a cool guy as well. That's the other one.
2: Yeah, he sounds like it basically mixes all of my favorite things that we do, right? So he's martial art. He's a teacher's teacher. So he has like an NLP master course in the way that he's presenting information to the back of your mind. Yeah, I heard him in an interview talk about don't teach from where you are. Basically teach to where they are, which is profound and an extremely important thing to keep in mind. Plus, he didn't like a magazine that wouldn't publish his response, so he made it a point to make a magazine, and in nine issues, put the other one out of business. That's one of the greatest things I've ever
0: heard. Well, to me, it's like, you know, we've, we all grew up watching all these, we talked about before, action movies, and idolizing these, you know, overly masculine heroes who were good at everything. And then I met one, and it's John. <laughs>
2: Find more great shows or join the team at sport-social.co.uk.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
2: Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
2: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa, take it easy, Judy.